we started uh, yes, uh, last Friday, we started this is a two-class class series. And you know, as I explained when I approached this, I just realized that there's just so much, and we can stand still for months looking at, at the, the Sermon of the, on the Mount. Um, and so uh, I'm not going to attempt trying to go through the whole Sermon on the Mount now. In fact, I'm not even going to do anything on the Sermon on the Mount except, you know, first few of the Beatitudes. Because as I, as I looked at just the unbelievable richness of what, what the Sermon on the Mount, you know, conveys, um, we realize that we, we are pitifully in, inadequate and inequipped to, to, to really follow Jesus' teachings. Mm -hmm. I mean, the standard is, is incredibly high. And yet, He has given it to us. I mean, there are scriptures, there's, there are verses where Jesus says, be perfect as my Father is perfect. And you look at that and you think, is He, is he meaning that figuratively? Is He meaning that, you know, once we are in Christ, we are perfect? Is that what He means? For sure. So, so a lot of these things you grapple with because I think it's so easy to sort of look at some of these things and just say, well, it must be a certain interpretation, and it's how they view it those days. And obviously, we need to understand the context and how they did view it then. But I think it's easy to just sort of sidestep some of these really uncomfortable things that Jesus is saying. But having said that, if we, out of ourselves, we, we just can't follow that. And that's why, you know, looking at the Beatitudes, it's incredible because the Beatitudes to me, just sort of, you know, Jesus is showing what the heart is like of someone that is, that is able to follow the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we start with looking at the, the attitude that Jesus wants us to have. And yet, yet last week we, we started with, let me make sure I've got it. So this is a recap um, of the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm not going to go through all that. Um, but I, apart from you know just what I just said, you know, it's what Jesus is teaching is really contrary to what the world world say. And I think we must be careful because sometimes our, our thinking becomes way too sophisticated. Maybe for our good, you know, if we think about how how, how people viewed life in the first century, you know, they didn't have psychology and they didn't have lots of science and so on. And yes. Many of those things reach our understanding of the world and life. And I'm not saying those things are evil or bad. But what I'm saying is that we must be careful that, that we don't adopt a sophistication that circumvents the direct and hard truths of the scriptures. We have to test our hearts here. And so, you know, <laughs> I love this quote. Actually, I think I think thought of this, but you know, this is for the few, not the many. There's a political party. Yeah. And this slogan is for the many, not the few. And I, I thought of this, and I'm, you know, what Jesus is really saying is that this is for the few, not the many. You know, and, and he says it clearly. You know, the, the, narrow, the road's narrow; few find it. You know, never mind, stay on it, or actually walk all the way to the end. Few find it, and so we have to remember that this, that this, the ability of the, the, the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus' teachings, it's really designed to challenge our hearts, mm -hmm. to cut our hearts, to move our hearts. And if we are in a comfortable place and think that we can just pursue a comfortable religious uh, existence, you know, this is, this is going to challenge us. Mm -hmm. And if we're really going to take it seriously, we have to be willing to, to let down, you know, put, put aside these these worldly concepts of life. 
And so, you know, it starts with we're in the, we're in the spirit. And so maybe I'm just going to ask, from what we discussed last week, just one or two responses. What, what would you say, uh, if I can get some feedback, what struck you about the concept of being poor in spirit? What, why is this so essential? And what does somebody that's poor in spirit, what does that such, such a person look like? Anyone? Joan. And thanks for that. And you know, the, the, the Greek again, it, it's not saying somebody that doesn't have much, it's somebody that has absolutely nothing. Spiritually, we have to come to God with nothing. You know, again, picture Jesus calling his disciples, he's going to teach them how to change the world. You are going to be the guys that bring a new, a new covenant to the world. It's, it's, this is a spiritual revolution, and he starts by saying, you're poor in spirit. Not, you are the best, and you are great. You are poor in spirit. And I think we have to, we have to let that sink in. To come to Jesus and to go into the kingdom, to, to inherit the kingdom, to make it to the end, we have to keep ourselves in the place of being poor in spirit, spiritual poverty. I see it, you know, John has already said, but it's, it's to go to God, not asking for help, but for asking for Him to save me daily. He has to save me daily, He has to sustain me. Because without Him, I'm completely hopeless. And the danger is when I think I'm starting to figure things out, and I, and I think I felt that in my heart a while back. I felt like, oh, I think I've got this Christian walk thing sorted out now. This is not too bad. Yeah, I'm doing all these things and I think I'm enjoying it and I'm making an impact. And I, you know, that is a dangerous place to be because you're two steps away from thinking, oh well, at least I'm not like him. At least I'm not like her. Uh, and it's so easy to become self-righteous. I do think that there's a lot of that in me. I'm, I'm only starting to scratch the surface. And I'll explain why. Because once you are poor in spirit, you know, I'm not going to go through all this, but you know, we've got to ask ourselves, are we conscious of sin? Yeah. Is that something that we are conscious of daily? Do we know exactly what it is that's standing between us and God, between us and our, and our wives? Uh, because in marriage, that really gets thrown up, right, doesn't it? You know, that's what we've really shown. So just, are we aware of where we are spiritually? And I'll put it to you that, and I had to put it to myself, if you're not sure, Better fast and pray. Because that's a very, very dangerous place to be. Because if we don't, if we are not in need of God, it means that we are self-sufficient. We don't really need God. God kind of helps and he sort of adds to what we what we, what we already have. So um, I think what else is that, you know, it's it's contrary, contradictory, but when we are poor in spirit, that is when we are rich. You know, when we when we meet God, there our, our, our nakedness spiritually. That is where He supplies everything we need. He strengthens us. He enriches us. He builds us up. And again, with the whole concept of building wealth for this year that we are that we have been meditating on, or we've been teaching on, you know, how do we build God's kingdom? This little snapshot of His kingdom. How do we do that? Well, we don't really, do we? We have to have God build us. And Ephesians 2.22 says God builds us. Right? So we can't do that. And we can only be built up spiritually when we first tear down 
this monstrous building that we have out of our own strength and out of our own hubris built up. We have to tear that down so that God can build it up again. Alright, so the next one is blessed are those who mourn. Well, they will be comforted. And um, I'm just going to ask Malcolm, Malcolm, do you know how to change this thing that does so that he doesn't show the next slide because I'm getting Okay, what is it? Sorry about that. So, you know, blessed are those, blessed are those who mourn. And you ask them, why must we mourn? You know, yes, Jesus, we want the good news. Why mourn? And I think sometimes we can, we can, we can have this, this funny fakeness about our religion, our, our Christianity, where we feel like everything is okay, everything is fine, and if something bothers me, I must just ignore it because God is great. And, Everything will be fine. No, there is a time to mourn. I mean, in James, it's, I mean, this scripture is incredible. James 4, 7 to 10, it says, Submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, and you will flee from him. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, you, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your gloom, joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so... This, this goes hand in hand with being poor in spirit. So when we are poor in, poor in spirit, we have a chance of actually seeing what our sin really looks like. When we are poor in spirit, our lives is contradicted with God's incredible holiness. It's so easy to see where the sin is. When we are not poor in spirit, we are lost. We are walking around blind. We don't even know what's really going on in our hearts. And then, our lovely wives come to us and say, Sure, honey, you should not talk to people like that. She says that to me a lot. I get offended. Like, what are you talking about? Because I can't see what's in my heart. My sin has blinded me. I've not been poor in spirit. I've been, I've been rich, rich in myself, not poor in spirit. And so, so when we, when we get to that point, we are able to see our sin. And so why do we mourn? We understand what our sin has done to Jesus. Um, you know, one of the most amazing pieces is, 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 is the, the sinful woman in Luke 7. That is possibly one of my favorite, favorite passages. You know, go take, take the time out and go, go meditate through that again. But what, and we know the story. You know, what, what, Peter, uh, what Jesus tells, tells Simon, he says, um, you know, then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? So do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you how many sins has been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. If you've been forgiven much, you love much. You love God much. You respond much. You don't care about whether it's inconvenient. You don't care whether you have to drive now 10 minutes or 15 minutes longer because the traffic is a bit awful. I don't stay down. You know, I don't, you don't care whether it's now darker earlier and you know the, the, the lights blinding this is just not nice to drive now. You know, you don't mind uh, having to look after the kids, even though they're not mine anymore. I've been in kids' kingdom for fifteen years, and good heavens, can't I just get a break? 
don't mind anymore. You don't mind when somebody asks you, please, I need you to help me. Can you quickly come and help me? Whatever, you drop everything. And so we have to we have to go back and say, are we mourning? Are we mourning our sin? Because without the mourning, there's not there's not relief. And so it says, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. I'm starting to run out of the way from my notes, I think. But I, I love that concept. You will be comforted. The question is, where are we looking for comfort? Where do we go? Money? Pleasure? Some of that pleasure sin. Let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be cutly honest. Where are we looking for that comfort? Relationships? Better career? Answer that to yourself. I have to look very deeply. Where do I find my comfort? Is it is it my times with God? Is it when I really face my sin and I and I, and I just lay it down before God on the altar and it's like, ah, oh, that's it. I am so sorry. Please, please move me. So what will this produce? Obviously, we know already. It's 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 a godly sorrow, right? It's godly sorrow that that will be produced, but you know we can be we can be mournful mourners. Woe is me! Oh, I am just so terrible, and you can never love me. You know that doesn't bring us anywhere. It's like a guy that that has his friend bring a gift to him, and it's raining, and he's opening the door, and he's like, oh, I can't believe you walked in the rain for a gift for me. Oh, I can't. Let... And and this person is just not able to let his friend come in because he feels so unworthy of accepting this, this gift. In the meantime, the guy's standing in the rain and he's not open, just looking in. Silly situation, but that's kind of what we do. We feel so sorry for ourselves and overwhelmed. We do not just accept the incredible grace. And so, these things are all tied. If we are poor in spirit, accepting God's grace is automatic because you know there's nothing else. And God makes it so abundantly clear that yes, all that you need to do is just be on your knees before me and understand where you are. And the grace is there. And we can immediately jump back up. So mourning doesn't mean you go and lie there in the pit for, for a week or two. It means you are, you are seriously sad in your heart because you understand what Jesus has gone through and it's your sin. You are the one that are hurting Jesus. You are the one that are hurting your family. You are the one that's that's doing whatever you're doing, right? And, and, and you, take, you take responsibility. Amen. Then there's matter-of-fact mourning. Oh, well, everybody does it. Oh, I sinned again. Bro, oh, I have to confess, you know, this happened again this week. Um, thanks a lot. Please pray for me. Yes, thanks a lot. And then next week, so you can be, you can be honest and you can be confessing your sin. But what happens after that? Is that where it stops? That, that's not godly sorrow. That's, that is another form of, of worldly sorrow. Now, I'm sorry I'm talking like this because, please, it's a very difficult topic. And, and I, I come across like you do this, and I, I, I'm really talking about myself. But, but, but looking at these, at these scriptures and these concepts, you know, it just, it just requires a decision. It requires a, a, a judgment from ourselves on this is what the scripture is saying. What will we do? Are we just going to let it go? Are we going to let it lie there? You know, and you know, we know what godly sorrow looks like. We know what worldly sorrow looks like. You know, let's 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 get back to the scriptures and 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 get those soft hearts. I think sometimes what needs to happen is, you know, sometimes we know there are sin. There's sin that needs to be dealt with, but we are avoiding it because it's painful. 
It's not comfortable. You know, who doesn't know you've been nasty with your wife? I mean, this is me always, constantly. I constantly say things I shouldn't. And then I know I need to go talk to her. I need to go say, honey, I was a beast. It was like a, a bull in a china shop. And I was just, I was just aggressive or I was just harsh. I'm sorry. You know, and I know that if I do that, there's going to be a bit of a conversation. Yes, but why did he do that? I'm like, oh, I don't want to have that conversation. I just want to say I'm sorry, okay? It happened right before I came here. <laughs> you know, it's not a bad thing. It's just we misunderstanding. And I just said, I can't talk about that now. I have to come to church, you know? And, she's, and I can see she's not happy. And then I know that we're going to have a conversation later on. But, but I think that's where, where what I appreciate about my wife is that she doesn't just let me kick it under, under the floor. Under the like, no, no, why did you say that? And us guys think, oh, good heavens, beam me up, Scotty. I just don't want to go there right now. But guess what? We need to. We, we, we do. We do. We can't just stop. We can't just stop by saying sorry. Sorry doesn't change anything. It's the actions that happen after that that, mm -hmm. that shows whether there's been some actual godly sorrow or not. So, you know, not repenting keeps us from God's comfort. You know, we know the scriptures. Where's that lovely one? It says, you know, um, is it Acts 3.19, repent, and then, you know, your sins will be, will be wiped away, and there will be times of refreshing. You know? No, what do we do? We want a beer to feel refreshed. You know? No, we're going to go watch a movie to be refreshed. You know? go, let's go play some football. I'll feel refreshed after I've had some cardio. No, repent. Repenting will be refreshed. My question is, again, first of myself, when last did you repent? When last did you tackle sin in your life and you know this is my sin? And I guess as we mature as Christians, it becomes really diff more difficult because it's not now smoking. Oh dear, I had another drag. No, it's not that. It's not the way I had too much drinking, hopefully. It's not, it's not these obvious things. It's more, oh good heavens, I am I'm a narcissist in my heart. That is what I need to deal with. I am selfish. I am harsh. I, I'm not gentle. I'm not like. And so it's these character things that we need to tackle and not just say, well, that's how I am. Actually, my dad was nasty with me, so I've got a few, few problems. Right? I've got wounds. You know? So let's pray that those wounds get healed. No, no, no. Let's tackle those things and move forward. Let's, let's make some decisions. All right, so. How are we doing? Uh, okay, there's a few minutes. So, so the next one is blessed are the meek, right? So the, they will inherit the earth. Right, so we talked about this a little bit last Friday. What's the meek is like? Weak. Meek is power under control, right? So a big stallion horse that's been tamed and you can sit on it and you can go anywhere. It's all that power is harnessed and it's under control. So for us that means that, means that we are... We are completely under God's control. Um, I like this. You know, every instinct, impulse, passion under the control of God. What does such a person look like? And imagine what such a person can achieve. This is so powerful. So incredibly powerful. You know, how do we know we're meek? 
is when we become teachable and we are free to accept correction and teaching and training. It comes through our conviction of our needs with God, for, for God. So again, this progression from being poor in spirit, you, you can mourn for your sin and you can come under God's control. You see your need because you're not, you realize that there's not really much going for you here spiritually. No matter what your talents are, your convictions, none of that matters. It's only God. But then you realize, oh my goodness, you know, I need God. And then you can become teachable because you, you are desperate in need of that training. It goes hand in hand also with understanding the necessity to be forgiven. To be forgiven. Again, the sinful woman. When you understand your sin, when, you, when you're just broken before God. It's amazing. God, you, you suddenly have become soft clay that God can mold. Soft clay. And that's my, that's, my, that's my hope for myself, for all of us, that we can become soft clay. That God can mold us. But it comes through these steps. There are no shortcuts. You know, none of us are born that way. None of us have the natural ability. God has to build us up from nothing. It's almost like creating Adam out of the earth. We have to tear everything down. So we are just a little heap of earth, which is all we are. And once we are just that little bit of earth, then God can start building, building the man Jesus in us. And so meekness is so powerful, but we miss it so easily. You know, the question is, how are we doing on that progress? How do we progress on that path to meekness? How easy do we make it for others to help us? How teachable are we? How easily, you know, go we, do we go in a huff and somebody tell you, I don't think, you know, your children are behaving the way they should. Oh, my goodness. Who's got the guts to tell a parent in England that their children are not behaving? Oh, wow. But disciples are not far different from the world in this respect. I must say this. You know, there are, there are parents here, and I don't want to say, it's not me. You can talk to Lizelle. She's a great parent. I'm still learning. But there are parents here that have raised kids who become disciples that are good examples. How many parents with young kids go ask advice? I don't see that happening. I honestly don't. So, so how, how, how hungry are we? How hungry are we to learn, to be told the uncomfortable truth that we often need to hear? Right, so I like this. This is amazing. So, you know, when you're meek, there's, there's a, look what this, this, this scripture that, there's a scripture that, that Jesus um, quoted when he said, this is the meek. It says a bit more in Psalm 37. It says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Okay? There's that peace, that prosperity. He's at ease with God. He's at ease with himself. He's at ease with those around him. Because he knows who he is. He knows that he's nothing. And he knows whose he is. So because he's nothing, it doesn't matter. Because he's God's. And now he's something incredible. But it's not about him at all. You know, so he finds validation and comfort from God alone. And that's a powerful relationship with God. You know, I like this scripture in Psalm 131 verse 2. I actually like the whole thing because it talks about 
and I think it was David, I'm not sure, but he says, the psalmist say, say that he doesn't concern himself with things too high for him. I love that. How much are we spending, maybe, concerning ourselves with things that are too high for us? Right. We're trying to figure out, we're reading all these books that's sort of going into lots of details and optional stuff. You know, are we not, why don't we just get back to the scriptures? And so the second verse says, um, but I have, have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child. I am content. What a nice picture. Yeah. It's not the suckling anymore, so he doesn't have that neediness that every, every time he's close to his mum, he just needs something. He's now, he's weaned. He sits with his mum. And that is, that's how the psalms, psalmist sees himself in the presence of God. And if we can live that way, what does that do? It makes you at ease with God, ease with yourself. You know it's not about yourself. You can forget about all those insecurities. It's not about other people. You can be at ease with other people. And so what I like about that, but this concept, is that you, you've got this confidence and you feel neither inferior nor superior in the presence of other people. Huh? What a nice thought. I, I read that and I thought, I normally feel inferior. Okay, let me be honest. I just, sometimes I do feel superior. It's so weird, you know. I'll feel inferior about 99% of stuff. And then there's one 1%. That I think I can do better than that. <laughs> oh my goodness, and then I mount it and I ride that wave. It's so stupid, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and it messes up relationships. Yeah. It does. Yes. But so, meekness, isn't that an incredible concept? And how easily we miss this. But we've got to understand, you know, that it flows from it flows from the poor in spirit and the sorrow and the, 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 the mourning. And so, how do, we, how do we grow in this? Well, first of all, it is a fruit of the Spirit, so there's not a whole lot you can do, because it's, it's basically gentleness. I think the word for gentleness and fruit of the Spirit is the same as, as meekness. And so, there's, so there's, there's not a lot you can do, except be poor in spirit. Make sure you get sorted out yourself. And God can bless you with this incredible gift of meekness, of this gentleness. But it also requires some effort from ourselves to place ourselves consciously under God's control. As far as we can, right? We, we're not going to do that perfectly, but every day, constantly, renew that commitment to put yourself to, under God's control completely. And, you know, pray about those things, about our, you know, our passions, our dreams, everything, to be controlled by God. And, 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 and in that way, you know, following God's and the rest of the Sermon of the Mount then becomes something we want to do out of our hearts. It's our desire now. It's not, it's not, oh, the ABCs of being a Christian. Oh my goodness, and I can do A and I can do C, but take B. Let's get that out of the Bible. So it's not about that then, it's about God, I need you. And every time I stumble on one of those ABCs, I go back to poor in spirit. And I'm like, oh, I can't do this, right? Like, you can! And then he builds me up again. Instead, what we sometimes we do is we stumble and we either get discouraged and that sort of just hurt us spiritually and our joy just disappears. Or we sort of get grow thick skin and say, okay, I'll do all the other ones, but this one I'm going to avoid. This one's not for me, I'm going to rationalize it. It's not, it's not important. So, um, you know, so let's ask ourselves, how do, we, how do we progress in this path to meekness? And then... Um, 
Oh, sorry, I didn't show this, but anyway, I'll let you see. Great, so now the next one, and I'm, not going, I'm going to spend a very, very little bit of time on this one. Um, hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the first four Beatitudes, um, and somebody like Malcolm will give you all the theological and proper scholar, scholarly stuff about this, which I don't really understand. But from what I could pick up, is that these, the first four of the Beatitudes really, really describe the heart and attitude of a disciple. All right? So, you know, context... The, the Sermon on the Mount is, 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 is the teachings of how the kingdom of God will look like. If we are, and, and he's held, everything he taught was about the kingdom, you know, the good news of the kingdom. So if we want to be kingdom citizens, there's only this one way to go in through that, and it's having this heart and this attitude. And as we've now discovered, is that that is not even something we can obtain. We are, we're hopeless to obtain it. We need God to give it to us. And it's also freeing, isn't it? Mm, mm. But it becomes really complex and annoying and not very joyful when we sidestep that, when we try and sort of just go through the motions. It's not a great place to be. So, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So, hungry and happy. You know, who of us feel happy when they're hungry? <laughs> There's a term that we're all thinking of now, and it describes me. I get hangry, badly. Zell knows exactly when I'm hungry, and when my blood sugar starts dropping, I'm not a pleasant sight then. She needs to sort of, you know, crowd control me, because I need to be almost in a bad cell at times, you know, and fed, fed through the bars until I, until the monster is appeased. But, but, you know, so, so hungry is a funny concept. How can you be blessed, happy? Remember, blessed means ridiculously happy. There's God-like joy, you know, and I'm hungry. I'm hungry and I'm joyful. It doesn't compute. But, you know, that's what the scriptures say, so we have to figure it out. Um, but, you know, it's, it's this, spiritual, this spiritual desire, this hunger. So, again, it flows from, that, from the previous three. Once you're meek and you just understand how incredible God is and where you are, you just desire to do what God wants. And that fulfills us. You know, can you see it there? Right. So have I got all my physical needs sorted? Some of us have got a lot more sorted than just our physical needs. We've got it. Some of us got multiple homes. There's nothing wrong with it. There's some, we've got multiple cars. You know, we've got everything catered for. We've got so much clothes, we have to, on a weekly basis, throw it out. You know, we have a problem to get rid of our property. I have a problem. I've got a garage full of stuff that needs to go to the, to the charity shop and nobody gets around to doing it. So we've got absolutely in abundance. Mm-hmm. Are we fulfilled? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Do we still feel miserable after we've run around chasing the wind, as Solomon says, to have all that we can, that we can, have, that we can have and want and still feel miserable? So, you know, what does that mean? It means Spiritual malnourishment. That's what it's all about. Spiritual malnourishment. And so the, the um, symptoms are clear. We can see it. We can see it in ourselves. Maybe we can see it in our friends. There's a spiritual lethargy. How do you pronounce it? Lethargy. Lethargy. Not a liturgy. There's a spiritual lethargy. We sort of become like jelly. Spiritually. Who saw the Lord of the Rings? I love that scene. Yes. Up there. Is it the third one? Where this king, who knows what his name is? I can't remember. 
And he sits on his throne, and the hair is grown all the way down to the floor. And he's to the second one. And then his nails are long, and he's just filthy, and he just sits there. And it's this evil advisor that's running this kingdom because this this guy just sits there. Guys, that's that's many of us. He just sits there, and he can't even lift his finger. And this guy's in his ear the whole time and telling him all, all this stuff and all he needs is this king to say yeah okay and this guy is running the show mm-hmm. satan is running the show in our families sometimes yeah. running the show in our lives with this king we just kind of let it go now we kind of hardly move anymore so you know that's a that's a serious symptom so we lose the strength to resist temptation yeah, we just we just let it go, and now we can't even say no to Satan anymore. Although, we've got all the power from Jesus. Um, not standing up for what we believe anymore, and goodness, our convictions have slipped. My word, those very convictions that fight, up, fight us so much when we got married. Uh, got, got baptized. <laughs> when we got baptized, we were so fired up. You know, once we understood the significance of baptism and the logic of it, the absolute logic, the incredible brilliance of God creating this little time capsule that transports us back into time at the time of Jesus so we can come in contact with His blood and now be forgiven. How amazing is that? Now we wonder, maybe I'll just pray. maybe people just need to pray to be saved. You know? And those things that we've been so convicted about, it's starting to just fizzle out. It's spiritual malnourishment. What are you listening to? Is it still the Bible? Is it some preacher on the internet? Was it some book that you're not even sure what this guy's convictions are? But it's nice words. Wow, it feels great. And I'm not saying those books are bad. I'm just asking, you know, where where is our convictions and what are we feeding ourselves with? Maybe if these symptoms are present, or maybe those books and those sermons and things are not helping that. Maybe we need to just go back to the Bible, pray fast, and get back to the point of spiritual poverty. So we can mourn our sins, we can be meek, and then we'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we will be filled. So the last point, sorry, it's a few minutes over. So the very last point, is, which I love, is the Greek for this hunger and thirst, is described for a man who's been traveling through the desert and he finally comes to an oasis or the town i'm not sure exactly but that's the picture and when he gets there there is water and there's food and he describes that desire for the water and food he wants it he wants it badly he'll kill for it right now don't stand between me and my food it's a bit like me when i get hungry do not interfere i need that now and that's the hunger that this is talking about and then it also says hunger and thirst for righteousness the, the whole picture is not just give me a bit give me a few tidbits just i'll, I'll just have a cherry i'll just have a, a little scoop of that that lovely lovely dessert no give me the whole banquet and i'm going to just at all i don't i don't want to to miss anything and so that is what this will produce in us that's what it produces in us this hunger and thirst that we can't wait we can't wait to be with god you know the, the psalm oh, there's so many amazing songs what's the song that says that the, uh, the, the deer pants for for the water and it says when can i meet with my god when last did i feel that 
mean, now that I wake up and I just think, oh, I need my coffee, you know, get me just in, in a state to, you know, I don't, you know I, I've got to wake up here. Yeah. When now that I wake up saying, oh, this is amazing, I'm going to wake up an hour earlier just because I want to spend time with God. That hunger and thirst for God. So guys, thanks a lot for listening. I uh, will end here. Um, but I think, oh my goodness, I, I, I've lost the plot here totally. But um, <laughs> you've, you've, been, you've been kind for sitting so long and listening to me. I think the, the key here is, and I'm excited about next year, about this growth that if we start implementing these teachings, you know, what that's going to do to us. And I'm excited to hear, you know, to, to go through all the classes on Sermon on the Mount, there's such incredible stuff. But let's, let's take time out. Let's do some personal study of these Beatitudes in preparation. Let's, let's really, really ask God to help us having those hearts that can accept Jesus' teachings with joy and really excitement and not just see them as this, you know, oppressive, high standard that we will never achieve. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the hard work you put into both of these classes yourself and, and the power behind the throne yourself. And, uh, and also Francois showed last week too, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, so thank you. And it's really appropriate, I just want to say a couple of things, although we're a little over, but it's very appropriate that you pick this topic. We are going to be studying through the Sermon on the Mount next year, January and February, every Friday, every Sunday sermon, we'll go through the Sermon on the Mount like we did the book of John this year. So Matthew 5, 6 and 7, we'll focus on that. Um, and uh, there'll be uh, prayerfully a little bit of a booklet to go with it if I have enough time to write it and maybe some daily podcasts as well which I did for John and for Deuteronomy one year and others and so on it's funnily enough at the moment I'm, I have a podcast and I do several things but one, of the, one strand of the podcast that I do is my own podcast it's called Quiet Time Coaching and I'm going through the Beatitudes right now so the last if you want to access those go to my website or have a search online for my podcast and you'll find there uh, from episode where is it here episode 111 110 I forget anyway from there on you'll find the different Beatitudes and there's about 5, 10, 15 minutes on each one and this is it really fits together very nicely and I'll be finishing those off the next few weeks and we'll get to Christmas Day.